Hey there, this is Sean McMahon. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast and thanks for supporting the ministry by lending your ears, your minds, hearts, all that good stuff. Don't be afraid to share this here message with a friend or a family member, even a stranger. Have at. It's not like it's going to bite. These messages are recorded live at the Community Baptist Church of Gayhead and Aquina on Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, and the good old U.S. of A. If you're ever in town for a visit or suddenly find yourself shipwrecked on the southwest side of our lovely little island, climb up the clay cliffs and come on down to our little old chapel for our weekly 10 a.m. service. No need to wear anything special, just bring your special self. May God bless you. Today's scripture reading is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee. And when he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The, Lord, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. And let the press go free, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Years ago, years and years ago, I once worked for an old fellow that used to, to wheel into a wheelchair uh, in our church, and he'd always come looking for cheap labor from the young guns in the congregation. And he, he was a regular to the church, but he wasn't a believer. He was just looking for cheap labor, and uh, he knew he could get a good deal from a bunch of bleeding heart evangelical Christians like us. And maybe we were suckers, Maybe, but we, we wanted to serve our community and we put it out there. We used to go out there all the time. I used to busk at the farmer's market in Springfield, Mass. We'd pass out cards and say, hey, listen, we're here for you. We want to help the community, right? So a lot of people got the message and a lot of people came by looking for favors. But I'm eternally grateful to this fellow because he taught me how to properly clean a toilet and a tile floor. And he would watch over my shoulder and he would tell me when I missed a spot or he would tell me to do the whole job over again because he was, he was very, you know, he would scrutinize and he had very high standards. But it was kind of, you know, like wax on, wax off kind of stuff, just minus karate lessons, okay? And he, he used to talk a lot to me and we'd have conversations and he'd talk about how successful his business was and how much money he had socked away, which always made me a little suspect about why he wanted such cheap labor. But... He would always, always provide challenges to my faith because he wanted to talk about it. He was coming to the church and he was a little incredulous about what we believed. And he always thought it was nice that Christians were so nice. But he'd always tell me, none of it's true. None of it's true. And he had a lot of go-to challenges and we'd talk about them. And we probably all heard these challenges before that maybe Jesus didn't exist at all, right? Or the gospels were forged hundreds of years later, or the apostles were lying, or the apostles were on drugs, even. 
Um, any scholar worth his salt knows that this is inaccurate and these are old, these are old opinions that have been disproven. Um, but one day I figured out that the guy hadn't really read the Bible uh, when he boldly declared, listen, besides, Jesus never even claims in the Bible to be any of the stuff that Christians say he is, like the Messiah or the Son of God. That was all made up by Christians later. That was all made up by Catholics who didn't let people read the Bible. And I stopped him right there. And I said, you have a Bible, right? He said, yeah. And I said, turn to Mark chapter 14, 61 through 62, and read it to me. He reads from Mark, and it says, Again, the high priest questioned him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of God? And Jesus answers, I am. Oh, <laughs> he looked at me like, whoa, I guess he did say that, but he had a retort. He said, oh, okay, maybe it was a translation error. He said, maybe the Jesuits put it in there. I said, listen, man, the Jesuit order was founded in 1540. The oldest manuscript of the Gospel of Mark is from the second century. The Jesuits did not forge the Gospel of Mark. They didn't add any, anything, and there's no translation error. The oldest copies of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus still answers the question the same way. Are you the Christ? Are you the Son of God? Yes, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power, coming with the clouds of heaven. Amen? Amen. Now, Jesus said this when he was on trial. He wasn't exactly on trial because he, he, he was subtle about things like this answer. He didn't exactly keep this a secret during his ministry. He had three years worth of run-ins with the Jewish authorities, and each time he made it clear who the higher authority is, who the Christ is, who the Son of God is. I am. That's what he always had to say. Long before they arrested him, they tried to stone him because he said, I and the Father are one. He said they wanted to stone him for blasphemy, but he defends himself using scripture, and he says, isn't it written in the law I've called you gods. So if, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, then what about the one whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world? How can you accuse me of blasphemy for stating that I am the Son of God? He says it again right there. Jesus was not coy about who he was. He was honest. He was even flagrant about it. And he was right from the beginning. And we read that just now, right when he begins his ministry, preaching at the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, he reads the messianic prophecy of Isaiah. And it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And then he sits down and says, this has been fulfilled today. But what's being fulfilled? He said, the Lord has anointed me. And by saying that the Lord anointing anointed him, he was also saying, I am the anointed one. That's how in English we say the Messiah, the Moshiach, the Christos in Greek or Christ, the anointed one. It's pretty obvious what he was saying about who he is. And yet it wasn't obvious to some, even to some of the people closest to him. Even blessed Saint John the Baptist, Jesus's own cousin and forerunner, he wasn't sure. And this is a man who've been told by God himself, the man on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. 
And John saw that with his own eyes when he baptized his cousin Jesus. And John said, I have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. John said those words. But then he's imprisoned. And it seems like he has a crisis of faith. And he sends the disciples to ask Jesus, Jesus, are you the one who has come? Or are we going to look for someone else? Do we need to look for someone else? And we should feel sympathy for John because with good reason he asked this question. Because remember what Jesus said at the synagogue when he started his ministry. He said, God has anointed me to, to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives. He sent me to let the oppressed go free. These promises would have mattered to John in prison, right? Released to the captives, setting the oppressed free. But there he was, rotting in prison. If Jesus was the Christ, wouldn't he release and set free his own captive and oppressed kin, his own cousin? And you should pause and consider how much more we might relate to John than you might think at first. Because how many times have you felt, God, where is the promise of your coming? I've been waiting on you. I've been praying for you to act. Why haven't you acted in my life? Why am I struggling? Where's the miracle I've been praying for and hoping for? Right? Believers, believers, Christians, we've been told in the Bible that we are God's children through adoption. That makes us Jesus' kin just as much as John the Baptist, right? And we come to church every Sunday to remind ourselves of that and get excited about it. And yet there are still plenty of times we have to wonder, Jesus, what are you waiting for? I need you. Where are you? Just like John the Baptist, members of the family wondering, where is Jesus? So Jesus' answer to this question matters, right? Jesus says, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised. And good news is preached to the poor. Then he says, blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. So first of all, the list of works should sound familiar because it's a parallel to the promises of Isaiah that he read in the synagogue in Nazareth. The blind receive sight. Good news is proclaimed to the poor. But in place of the release of captives and let the oppressed go free, Jesus says the lame walk, the deaf hear, the lepers are cleansed, and the dead are raised. So this is one of many times where Jesus takes take scripture and he interprets it through himself and his own actions. And he signifies that the captivity that Isaiah is talking about was a captivity to the power of death. And the oppression that Isaiah talked about was the oppression under the weakness of flesh. And in other words, Jesus is bearing the fruit of Isaiah's prophecies. Jesus is the one they've been waiting for. He is the Christ. Go tell John. He's the Christ. But it's on God's terms. And this answers John's question, but it doesn't answer his condition. It's the last thing that Jesus says that's meant for John's encouragement and for ours when he says, Blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. Okay? And what Jesus is saying is John's crisis of faith is on account of Jesus. He's saying, it's not you, it's me. You're in prison because of your witness of me. 
your faith in me. Don't forget that. And trust me, is what he's saying. Sometimes we forget how challenging it can be to put our trust in Jesus Christ. His promises are spiritual. They're spiritual, but in exchange for promises, in exchange for promises, we must deny ourselves. We take encouragement and peace of mind from his word, because he says, in the world you'll have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Trust me. So we must learn like John had to learn, to let go of the world as we walk this journey of faith in it, right, but not of it. And that even means letting go of some of our expectations of Jesus himself, like John had to. John expected to be set free. Instead, he was martyred for his faith in Jesus. And we should expect to carry our own cross as well. And going back to my old employer that I talked about earlier, he and several others, they'd come to church expecting favors, and that's because we preached Jesus, and Jesus preached kindness and charity. And so this fella, he felt entitled to Christian time and energy, right? And like many people in the world, he said that the church, and even Jesus, was a failure and hypocritical because he hadn't solved the problems of things like world hunger and poverty. And there are many churches and Christians who admirably try to meet this challenge, there's even more who condemn other people who can't, right? We have spiritual leaders in the world who do that. God forgive me for saying it, but even the Pope does that, right? It's a tempting spirit for us on Martha's Vineyard, if you think about it, given our uniquely divided economic landscape, our housing prices, but it's mirrored throughout the whole nation. We hear it all the time. It's a timeless challenge, right? Jesus didn't say the spirit of the Lord has anointed me to establish universal basic income or subsidize housing. He didn't even say the spirit of the Lord has anointed me to feed the hungry and give to the poor. He said the spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. What good news can be preached to the poor that gives them comfort in their poverty? It's the good news of Jesus. He preached to poor fishermen. And what he preached was good news that, that went beyond give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day, but you teach him how to fish, you know, he'll, he'll eat a lifetime. It goes beyond that. In Matthew chapter four, he says, come follow me. He's talking to poor fishermen. He says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men, right? The good news is eternal life in the kingdom of God and gathering people together, faith and community and love following Jesus is how you get there. Are you ready to follow Jesus? Are you ready to adjust your expectations of who he is and what he's doing in your life? Whoever you are and wherever you are in your journey in life, he is working and he is always nearer than you think. And he's always at the ready to deliver on his promise to release us from the captivity of the power of death Right, and to set us free from the oppression under the weakness of the flesh. He always is, and he stands at the ready. And that's what he promises us. Let's pray. Whoever you are and wherever, wherever you are in life, we will not stop praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding 
so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have full endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Amen? Amen. Amen. That is a prayer for the church that is timeless. And may it bless you. Thank you for listening to the Sean McMahon Podcast. Visit SeanSellickMcMahon.com for more information about his ministry. For more about Sean's music, please visit WorkmanSong.com.